We have uh, been looking at the, the book of Mark. And uh, where we are in the life of Jesus Christ, uh, chronologically, it was, we're probably about two and a half years into his ministry. Uh, it is about probably August or September he would be moving toward Jerusalem to die that spring, just to kind of get an idea of where we've been for the last two and a half years. But one of the things that we said is, as we've looked at the book of Mark, is Mark is, is divided into two parts. Remember, we've been saying this over and over again since August. Uh, and the first part of the book of Mark is, is uh, who is this person, the person of Christ? And everything is kind of driving toward Mark chapter 8, which is the middle of the book. There's 16 chapters that we looked at last week when John preached on the confession of Christ. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Everything is moving there. And once he makes that confession, he, th- then the book begins to dramatically turn away from his person to his work. And so when he makes that confession, when Peter makes that confession, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus begins to talk about his work. That everything is moving toward the necessity of his death. That the Son of Man must suffer and die. And of course, Peter... Uh, and the disciples, they don't understand this. Th- their understanding is that uh, they're toward the end. They're toward the, the consummation. That Christ would go to Jerusalem and set up the, 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 the heavenly kingdom there in Jerusalem. And Jesus needs to correct their thinking. And so he rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Well, Jesus not only mentions his suffering, but he also calls his disciples and says, not only am I to suffer, but those who are followers of Jesus Christ must suffer as well. And so we come to our text today, uh, the transfiguration. Uh, Last week, John showed where he promised uh, that there would be those who would see his glory uh, before their death. And this is the glory that we're going to see. Uh, this morning. So turn with me to our reading and our scriptures today. I'm going to go ahead and pick up with, uh, with Mark chapter 9, verse 1. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. And he led them up to the high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said, To Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. So let us make three tents, one for you and for Moses and for Elijah. For he didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. And the cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen 
until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, so why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that reveals to us our only hope of salvation. We thank you that you've revealed to us who you are, who we are. We thank you that you've revealed to us why we are the way we are and our need for Christ. You have revealed to us Christ. You revealed to us what salvation is, how we might be saved, how we might know everlasting life. And so, Lord, we give you praise. Lord, we ask that you would bless not only the hearing of your word, the Father, the preaching of your word as well this morning. Lord, we thank you for your mercies and for your grace. And we ask these things in your name and for your sake. Amen. Uh, I am not much of a rock and roller. Uh, I have a hard enough uh, time remembering uh, hymns, memorizing hymns, so I have a, certainly have a hard time memorizing rock and roll songs. But uh, as I was thinking about our passage that's here today, this passage of the, the transfiguration, this passage that talks about the glory of Jesus Christ being revealed to his disciples, being revealed to Moses and to, to Elijah, I started thinking of the song Glory Days, right? By Bruce Springsteen. It's a song back in the, in the 80s. And it's, and it's really a fascinating song about his understanding of glory. And, and so I want to read a couple of lines. I wish I could read all of them because I think it's fascinating. But for you who know uh, Bruce Springsteen, and you could probably uh, memorize it or say it yourself, but let me read this to you. I had a friend was a big baseball player. Back in his high school, he sure could throw that speedball by you, make you look like a fool, boy. Saw him the other night at this roadside bar. I was walking in, and he was walking out. We went back inside, sat down, and had a few drinks. But all he could keep talking about was those glory days. And then the course goes like this. Glory days, well, they'll pass you by. Glory days in the wink of a young girl's eye. And so then he begins to talk about different folks who are looking to the glory days. Talk, talks about the girl who found her glory uh, in, in her beauty. And, and he meets her at the bar and finds out that she's now divorced. And, and she begins to reminisce about the glory days. Uh, then he talks about his father who worked, worked on the Ford, uh, the, the Ford plant on an assembly line. Lost his job talking to his friend about his glory days. But he said his father really had no glory days. And then he ends by saying this about himself. Now I think I'm going down to the well tonight. I'm going to drink till I get my fill. I hope that I get old. And when I get old, I don't sit around thinking about it. 
but I probably will. Yeah, just sit, sit, sitting back, trying to recapture the little of the glory. Well, time slips away and leaves you with nothing, mister, but boring stories of glory days. Now, as I, as I thought about these lyrics, in comparison to what we're going to look at today, I think he nails two things. And the first thing that he nails is this, is that we long for glory, don't we? We, we, we want to be more than people who are just producers and consumers. People just who, who eat and go about our business and have a few stocks and bonds and go on vacation. There's something more to life than that. But the other thing that I think he nails is that man's glory and the glory of man, people looking back to their glory days, is looking past. It's looking backwards. And it's fading. I was listening to a commentator yesterday on ESPN. He was talking about Michael Jordan, an article that he had written about Michael Jordan. Apparently, Michael Jordan's always been pretty private about the way he looks at life and, and feels about life. And uh, so this article is coming out. I can't wait to read it. But he said he was very candid. And one of the things that he talked about was his struggle with being 50 years old. Uh, of course, he uh, apparently played uh, one of their draftees and one-on-one and beat him. But he started thinking about uh, how all that is fading. Uh, that he's, he's still competitive, but, but now the spotlight is gone and all his glory uh, is in the past. is fading. Well, our text talks about glory, doesn't it? It talks about the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the past the present and the future. He is the ancient of days. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the importance of you understanding His glory to worship Him if you are to indeed enter into His suffering. Well, for us to appreciate glory, we need to understand what glory is. What does that mean exactly? Now, we've talked about this before many times at Redeemer over the years, right? The Hebrew word for glory means weighty. It actually is the word kaboth, which means rock. And whatever has the most weight sucks everything around it. It puts it in its orbit. And so whatever you think about, whatever your, your life zeroes around, whatever is making your life meaningful, friends, I'm telling you, that is your glory. C.S. Lewis uh, put it this way. He said, glory is what you boast about. It's what you talk about. It's what you think about. It's what your life revolves around. But if it's anything other than the glory of God and your life being centered around the one who's raised from the dead, then it's centered around all these things that are fading away. Whether it's a wife or a husband or the Christian family, or whatever it may be, it's passing and it is fading. Does anybody remember Henry V? Apparently he did some pretty cool stuff. Shakespeare wrote about him. Or the Green Bay Packers. Remember the Green Bay Packers, don't you, the 1960s? Vince Lombardi, you younger people remember that, right? You remember when Georgia won the national championship in 1940, don't you? So this passage is to help us understand who Jesus Christ is. 
what his perception of himself is. In John chapter 17, we see a glimpse of this right before he is to be crucified. He's in his priestly prayer and he says, Father, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I have had with you before the world began. The disciples are called to suffer. Uh, But how depressing it would be if all we do is suffer, but we don't first see his glory. That, that we don't understand what it means to worship Him. Without worship, there is no suffering. If all you do is believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but you've never beheld His glory, His presence, then far be it that you'll suffer. You'll deny Him. You'll live your own life. What are you? Th- I mean, seriously, what, what is your life revolved around now? I mean, you come to church on Sunday morning, you hear some good sermons, you hear John preach a good sermon. But when you walk out the doors and you've taken communion, all of a sudden, what does your mind start locking into? Well, Jesus is gracious. He loves us. He cares about us. And he understands that truly to proclaim his name is to bear his testimony. It is to enter into his sufferings. And so we need to see his glory, right? We need to know something of what it means to truly worship Him and to adore Him, to see Him, not as some Bible story, not as a a nice sermon at the Presbyterian church on Sunday morning that goes, yeah, that makes sense to me. But to know Him and to worship Him. So as we come to my my points before we come to the Lord's table, let me ask you this. What, What is your glory? What, what, what makes your life meaningful? Is it your husband? Well, he'll die. Steve Doster passed away this week. It'd be your spouse. It'd be your children. Maybe your glory is your music. And, uh, and you love music. Or, or maybe your glory is, uh, it could be being redeemer. That, hey, we're reformed. So, so this is important. We understand this subject. Now, There's three things I want to look at. Uh, The first is this. Uh, We see glory in our text, in this person. And we've already been saying this, but we're really going to see it here. And then what we see is that there's glory in his work. And I'm going to spend a lot of time on that because the rest of the book is about this. The work of Christ on our behalf. It's glorious work. And then the last thing that we'll see is that Suffering must come before glory. I, I really believe that when Jesus said what he said in the passage last week about all my, my, if you're my disciples, you too will suffer. And there will be none if we don't understand worship. So here's the first thing to see is this. We see glory in, in the person of Christ in this text. Obviously, we're seeing some glory here, right? A transfiguration, a metamorphosis. But we've already been seeing this, right? Uh, we've been seeing who he is. He, he heals the sick. He forgives sinners. He cast out demons. And when he preached, he preached with authority because all of his preaching was not like the law of Moses that ended up with the law. It was the law that was pointing to him, that he is the end of the law. And so we've been seeing this 
for several months. But now we see him going to a mountain, right? He promised that there would be those who would see his glory in his fullness and it's these three men. And I'm not going to get into why it's Peter, James, and John. But if you study a little bit about the Bible, you'll probably understand why he took them. Six days later, he fulfills what he, his promise that there would be those who would see his glory. And so he grabs them and he takes them up to this mountain. It's probably uh, Mount Hermon. And the reason it's probably that mountain, it's about 9,000 feet high and it says they went to a high mountain that was in that area. So they climbed this mountain. And when they get to the top of the mountain, uh, we learn in Luke that, uh, that they prayed. That they spent time praying together. And they get a little bit weary and they fall asleep. And then all of a sudden on that mountain, our text tells us in verse 2 that Jesus was transfigured. That he began to, to shine. Uh, uh, the best way that Mark could put it was his clothes were brighter than any bleach that's there. Matthew was a little bit more clear about it. Matthew said that his face shone like the sun. And they're there on the mount with Jesus being transfigured, pulling back his flesh, revealing his flesh, revealing, covering who he is. If you know anything about the Bible... You'll know this, that mountains are important. You ever notice that in the Bible? God tells Abraham to, uh, to sacrifice his son, not in the valley. He tells him to go to the mountain, right? He goes to Mount Moriah. And then later, uh, Elijah, who's up on the mountain, remember he had several mountaintop experiences. One was at Mount Carmel where he by himself defeated all the prophets of Baal. And then later we find him at, at Mount Horeb, which later is, is probably Mount Sinai, and there he sees the glory of God. So, so we have that mountain theme that's there. And then, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, the God who gives the law, he comes in his flesh, and the first sermon he gives, where does he give it from? He gives it from a mountain. The lawgiver invites people to come. Later we find our Lord Jesus Christ uh, who was crucified on a mountain, right? Mount Calvary. And then later we see him lifted up into heaven on the Mount of Olives. And then ultimately all the Bible, when it, the Bible when it talks about Mount Zion is talking about eternal life and eternal kingdom uh, to come. Now I bet if I were to ask you what mountain would you name in the Bible that you know about? Guess which one I bet you would name? Mount Sinai, right? Know that one. That's where Moses went. The great prophet went. And he goes to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. In the Shekinah glory, the glory of God comes. And he asks God to reveal his glory to him. And so God says, Moses, if I were to do that, you would die. So he puts him in the cleft of the rock. And his glory passes by. And just a glance at his glory, Moses comes down the mountain and his face is aglow. And then he would go to meet with God at the tent of meeting. He would go to the mountain to meet with God. And every time that he would come back, his face was shining. 
And it bothered the children of Israel. And they said, this is too weird. Put a bag on your head. So he veiled himself. But you see, what's amazing about this text is Moses is just reflecting the glory of God the way the moon reflects the sun. But in this text, the transfiguration is the glory of God is emanating from Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible teaches a great mystery that in Jesus Christ we have this person who was fully God and fully man. To this point, he had concealed his deity. But now he is revealing it. And Peter and James and John and Elijah and Moses are seeing his glory. What a sight that must be. One of my favorite Christmas hymns is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And there's a wonderful line in there that speaks to this glory. It says, by Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, hark the herald angel saints, glory to the newborn king. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me make some application here. If that is true, which it is, then you see, you can't have a middle ground with Jesus. You can't say, well, he's a great teacher. Uh, uh, He's someone that I can learn from. He's your God. He's the everlasting God. Paul saw that, right, on his way to Damascus. And later when he speaks of the glory of Christ, he says in Colossians that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in him all things on earth and heaven, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. In him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things through his blood. What a powerful (laughs) statement, right? This is God's word. It's it's the the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John was there. And and, and in John chapter 1, he says, And we beheld his glory, the only begotten Son of God. Wow, there's all kind of implications for this. Now, I know I've read this quote from C.S. Lewis, but it's been, I think, five years. So I can read it again. Five years, I can say something again. Y'all are saying, yeah, you say stuff every six months, but I. In mere Christianity, he says, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. 
I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic or on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that opinion open to us. He did not intend to. So he sees glory in his person, right? If it, 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 he's, he's revealed himself, and they are mesmerized. Well, that brings us to the second thing, and this is a shorter point because I want to get to my third point. And the second thing is this. We see his glory in his work. Not only in the person of Christ, we've been looking at that. But here on the mountain, we're seeing the person of Christ, and we're also seeing the work of Christ. Now, the reason I don't want to spend a lot of time on this point is because we're going to be looking at this for the next several months, the work of Christ. But let me show you where you see this in two, two ways. First, you see this in his conversation with Moses and Elijah. And second, through the very fact that when the Shekinah glory of God does come and God reveals himself in all his glories, Matt, uh, James, Peter, and John do not die. They don't die, do they? They come off the mountain. So how do we see this with, uh, with Moses and Elijah? Where do we see the work of Christ? Well, why not Jeremiah and Isaiah? Why not Jonah and Malachi? Right, it's a good question. Why Moses? Why Elijah? Well, Moses, you see, is the great law giver. He's the mediator of the law, the law that comes to condemn us, the law that begins to reveal something of the glory of God and the brokenness of who we are and why things are not right with us. And then, of course, we see Elijah. Elijah is the first and the great prophet prophesied in Malachi that we'll see that would come before that great and glorious day. Because you see, the prophets are always calling us back to the law of God. Look, my responsibility as a minister is not always to make you feel warm and fuzzy. It's for you to understand that if you're stuck in sin, that the law of God must come to bear. You can't say, oh, I believe in grace and continue to live in sin. It's the curse of the church. To be a nominal Christian is to not be a Christian. And so Moses comes and the law comes and the law is still good and the law is still there and the law condemns us. But it can't help us. Moses can't help you. And then, of course, we have Elijah who's constantly calling the people of God back to the law to say, we are not to be stiff-necked people, right? We're to be godly people. We're to be holy people. We're to be a people who are, is a royal priesthood, a chosen people. That when people see us as Christians, they go, there goes a Christian. So there they are, and they're on the mountain, and they're talking to the second person, the Trinity. And they're mesmerized. 
So what were they talking about? Let me tell you what they were talking about. Luke tells us what they were talking about. It says, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What departure? Well, let's go back and think. Here's Moses on a mountain, and he's coming down, delivering the people of Israel into the promised land. Deuteronomy 18 says there's a greater than Moses. And what is that departure? He is to come to Jerusalem, not to die for the sins of Israel, but for the world. To take us into a greater exodus, a greater promised land. What is that promised land? It is the promised land that Steve Doster entered into on Wednesday of this week, or Thursday. Why? Because there's a greater than Moses. You see, after they... God shows up and he speaks. This is my son. Listen to him. Guess who's still there and guess who's gone? Elijah and Moses, they're gone. Because you see, Christ is the fulfillment of the law. To be made a curse for us that we might have life. For this reason, when they hear the voice of God, God says, this is my dear son, Hear him, and it says, and they see Jesus only. You see, he's the great bridge. Which brings me to the second point, and that is the fact that they didn't die, did they? And I'll tell you this, if you stand in the presence of God one day, and you do not have Christ as your mediator, he is not your greater than Moses, then you'll stand in his glory and all your nakedness and all your shame. He is the bridge. They saw the glory of God and they didn't die. Why? Because they're united to Christ. What does Peter want to do? Uh, Peter, he doesn't know what to say. And a lot of commentators pick on Peter. I feel sorry for Peter, but he says, well, let's just build some booths, right? Let's build, and really the word there is tabernacle. And you see, any, the whole idea of tabernacles is in every religion. It, it is, wait, this is a holy place. I need to be protected. We need to have priests and prophets and we need to have people in places that are sacred. Well, you see, Jesus came to tabernacle among us for our sake. You see, he's the bridge. Now, we're going to say more about that. But I want to end on this because I think this is a very important point. We see the glory of, uh, in his person, his transfiguration, we see the glory in the work of Christ that Moses and Elijah there and now they're gone. <laughs> right? But what we must understand if we're Christians, and I believe this because our text said this last week. I want you to hear me out on this and I'm almost done. Jesus says that those who would follow him, those who see him, that they too must take up their cross. Why? Because, you see, uh, taking up your cross is a sign that, that you're dead to yourself. No more of your glory. No, no more of... And by the way, do you understand how much when you live for your glory, how much you goof everybody else up? You ever thought about that? It's all about me. It's about my glory. What's wrong with you, honey? Why don't you understand me? I mean, how many people have we screwed up, Right? 
Because we don't submit ourselves to the cross. We don't submit ourselves to God. You husbands that don't lead your wives spiritually, you don't pray with them, you don't talk to them about Jesus, you don't talk to them, your children about Christ. Let me tell you what, you're living for your glory. You know what your glory is? Your basement. Your hobbies. How about you wise? How about you children? You wise? I mean, what, what are you living for? Is your glory uh, uh, that you're always thinking about yourself and you need to do this and you need to do that and your mind's scattered and you've got to do this versus centering your life upon the glory of God? So you might be the Proverbs 31 woman who her children rise up and they bless her and her husband. Why? Because she's a great girl. No, because she is centered on the glory of God. Our text uh, before that said that we must uh, suffer. There must be suffer, suffering before uh, glory. So where do we see this? Where do we see this in our text? Well, now they're walking down the mountain, right? And this is, this is the way to understand it. It's like saying the glory of God. And by the way, Jesus Christ himself needed to hear his father's voice. He needed to be encouraged that you're my son. And just before he was crucified, remember the angels came and ministered to him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He needed to understand the glory so that he could go into the suffering and the depths of what it would cost him to die for us. And so they're walking down the mountain. And uh, they're confused because uh, now uh, Elijah's gone and Jesus, you're still talking about, you know, don't say anything to anybody until after I've been raised from the dead. What are you talking about? Elijah's come, he's gone. And so he says, well, so what about Elijah? Doesn't Elijah have to come? You know what Jesus says? He did come. It was John the Baptist. And he's a type of Elijah. But you remember Elijah was chased down by Ahab and Jezebel. Remember that? But they didn't catch him. But they caught John the Baptist. Evil King Herod and his wife. And they chopped his head off. So not only is he a herald to the coming of Christ, but the suffering of Christ because he first suffered. And so Jesus is saying, yeah, there will be suffering. Now, let me close by saying this. Let me, let me make some practical application here. Because I've thought a lot about this. What is all this transfiguration? And how does that apply to these people sitting on the third row here? Or back over here on the corner? Or somebody that's struggling with pornography? Or somebody that is cynical, doesn't believe a word I'm saying? How does this really apply? Well, let me tell you how it applies. You see, glory is to worship. It's to know God. It's not to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They believed that. But they were disoriented. But when they see God, they worship. And you know what worship leads to? Lord Jesus, not my will, your will be done. You do with me what you will. You take my wife, you take my husband, you take my car, you take my bank account, you take whatever you want because you know what? I have you, I have beheld your glory. And it was for that reason that Jesus went to the cross and was forsaken of his Father so that we might behold his glory. Let me close by telling you a, a, a conversation I had with a girl named Anna in Uganda. So come on to Uganda with us. We're going to Uganda. For y'all that don't know much about Uganda, um, 
The last 20 years have been unbelievable, a killing field. North of Uganda, Lira, and way up in the north part. And so uh, Gary and I spent a good bit of time up in the northern part and the Milners and Mary Beth when we went. And Chip, you'll be fascinated to know this because I know you know Anna. But so, so I was with Anna and we're riding in the car and uh, in, in a van. And I said, so Anna, exactly how much were y'all affected by Joseph Coney? How much killing took place up here? I mean, I mean who's really affected by it? And she was, she was very gracious. She said, well, pretty much everybody. I said, could you give me an example? She said, well, uh, one night my neighbors to my right and my neighbors to my left were gunned down. And we just escaped out the back door before we were gunned down. And then we were passing by this road. She said, down there was a, was a Catholic school and they, uh, they uh, took uh, 200 girls and took them off into the bush. And she said, now some of them 10 years later are finding their way back. They're 12 years old. They're 22 now. And they've been raped and they've been uh, killed. And a lot of them that are coming back, they're just uh, dying of AIDS. And so she said, oh, yeah, there's, there's a, <laughs> we've all been affected by that. So I said, well, let me ask you this. How do you process the goodness of God? Right? How, how I mean, when I'm with y'all, Y'all love me, y'all love God, y'all love Jesus, y'all love people, y'all want to minister to people. And so you've had all this killing going on. How do you, how do you put those two things together, the, the suffering and yet the love of God? And you know what her answer to me was? She said, oh, because we needed to suffer because we were sinful people. We were idolaters, witchcraft. And our Christianity was prosperity doctrine. Nothing serious. Nobody's serious about Christianity. So she said, God in his mercy brings judgment. And when he brought judgment, all the pastors got together, all the different denominations, and they began to pray the prayer of Daniel 9, where Daniel prays on behalf of the people of God, including himself, that Almighty God, we have sinned against you. Have mercy upon us. And and you see, and then Daniel has the picture and the vision of the ancient of days. Now, what is your attitude toward God? That I don't deserve this to happen. I, that's not right. This is not good. And therefore, I will not worship him. I think you're lost. I have very serious doubts as to whether you've ever met the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Because you see, to behold his glory is to see him hanging on the cross for you. To see the, the most unfair thing that ever happened was his sins going to you. And his righteousness, uh, I mean, your sins going to him and his righteousness coming to you. You see, when you see that glory, then you know what? You suffer and, and you're joyful. Have you seen the glory of God? If you say you have, have you been baptized? Have you come forward? You talk about Christ? Or do you just kind of go about life? And I, and I don't close by saying this. I, I really worry about some of you young people. Ever learning but never coming to the knowledge of truth. Hear a lot of reformed doctrine, but, you, but you're still cynical. I mean, I just see this. I sense this. What is up with that? 
When Paul met Jesus Christ, he hated God. After he met Jesus Christ, he loved God and he loved the people he hated. Why? Because he was born again. He was converted. Has the Holy Spirit converted you? Listen, friends, I'm telling you, our passage today, God is showing you the glory of Jesus Christ and you cannot have an opinion about him. You either submit to him and worship him or you will stand before him and hear him one day say, depart from me. Please repent of your sin and come to Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, I believe your Holy Spirit is working in some people today. Lord, they believe in you, but they've never, ever worshipped you. They have never seen the glory revealed. Lord, would you have mercy upon their soul because you are not obligated to reveal yourself to me or anybody else in this room. But Lord, when you do, there is glory and there's majesty. And the glory and majesty of who you are is that you beckon poor sinners to come to you because in all your glory you gave it up to die on the cross so that we might behold your glory. So Lord, work this morning. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.